0: Ladies and gentlemen, this episode of the Open Guard Cast is brought to you by Electrum Performance. You can use our discount code OpenGuardCast25 to get thick, lean, and swole. In the the midst of quarantine, you can be lifting and making yourself marginally more attractive. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Jake Watson, joined as always by Danny O'Donnell, and today we are here with future competitor – on BJJ Woodstock, run by Subspectrum and Jordan underscore—it's not Jordan underscore Jitsu, it's Jordan Pitesman. Sorry, Jordan Pitesman. Aaron Harris, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. No problem.
1: Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Yeah, dude, it's it's really great to have you on. We've heard so many great things, and we're super excited for your upcoming match with William Tackett. Uh, and we just want to kind of like you know get to know you, let people get to know you, man, because uh, we love to highlight athletes just like you. So
2: uh, we're gonna get right into it. Danny O'Donnell. So, Jordan just announced your match with William Tackett, and he's been competing a lot. So, have you been paying attention to the, the recent tournaments and super fight events that have been put on? You've been wa- have you been watching Tackett in particular?
1: Uh, I have, but less to study tape and more just because I'm a fan. Um, we actually had a match lined up at Grappling Idiots in, in Brooklyn, I believe, and because uh, of coronavirus. It fell through. So, I, I've been watching just to stay current, but not to study tape or anything like that just because I like jujitsu. too. And, uh, yeah. dude, he's a freak. Him and his brother. Um, last November, I think it was, we uh we went down and we competed at Grappling Idiots and we were in the same uh 16 man invitational. And just watching him run through these high level black belts, including Marcelo Garcia black belt, you know, the way he just takes the back and positionally dominates, I'm a huge fan.
0: Yeah, he's pretty he's like a, a thicker kid. I don't always see him, I've seen him like the past when I was competing, I competed like three weekends in a row, I saw him almost every weekend. And uh, he's a, like, he's a deceivingly large, like, wide kid. And he is, like, what, like, 18 years old? 19 years old? He's a fucking kid, man. That, that's exactly <laughs> right. crazy. Right? Yeah. He, he's, like, watching Avatar The Last Airbender right now, and he's geeking out over it. That's, like, one of the conversations we keep having. Like, I
1: literally, his- about 20 minutes ago, just finished the final episode.
2: No way! Okay, what'd you think <laughs> about it? I'm watching it, too.
1: Dude, I don't want to spoil
0: anything,
2: but you're... I know, I'm, I I'm, I'm on, on season one. I- <laughs>
0: You're still at season one, Danny?
2: Yeah, I watched oh, a bunch dude. of episodes last weekend. I think I'm like 11 episodes in, something like that. Oh, dude. Yeah. Did you watch The Great Divide yet? I did not. Okay, good. Don't watch The
0: Great Divide. Um. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. So Avatar: The Last Airbender. I'm so now I know. Like, cool guess. All right, cool. If you've seen Avatar: The Last Airbender, I automatically have like, a certain default level of respect. For you as a human being, but also you do jujitsu. So you have to like two things, two, two things that make up my identity, um, in common with me, Mr. Harris. So <laughs> pretty handed uh, hand, man. You, you can't be a high level jujitsu competitor and, and not start with DBZ, you know, for sure. Yes. And D- and Dragon Ball Z. I told Danny, he needs to watch Avatar first because that had more of an impact on my childhood. And then he needs to watch Dragon Ball Z, but Dragon Ball Z is a way bigger, uh, and you can probably agree with me, Aaron. It's a much bigger, like you have to be more dedicated because there's like 300 episodes in dragon ball z oh man
1: yeah and it's like the arc of dragon ball z like the the way too much talking for two minutes of fighting you know that's like (laughs) the mantra that's been repeated a thousand times in anime so i feel like you know starting there you'll kind of get the idea that set the stage for a lot of the stuff you watch but i don't know
0: oh yeah i think it's all some of the fights are like uh, 15 episodes long, and that's not even a lie. That's, like, not an exaggeration. Some of these fights take 15 episodes to complete. So it's just it's ridiculous. Uh, speaking of fights that take a while, did you happen to watch uh, William Tackett versus Roberto from Jitsking?
1: No, I didn't see the full match, but I heard about it. Um, he did not – did he end up taking the win?
0: No, William Tackett did not. He, but he he had an interesting, like – a way of uh, of attacking the legs. I just wanted to get your opinion on it because are, are you more of a, would you say a leg lock kind of no-gi grappler or do you lean more towards like the fundamentals? Because I feel like that's the, that's the two ways people lean when they're grappling no-gis.
1: I had to go back and fix up a lot of my fundamentals because I was beating higher level guys with, uh, just because my leg locks progressed in the scene more than your average bear. Mm-hmm. When, uh, you know, my guard passing and stuff didn't catch up until much later. So, I, I had success with leg locks originally, and then, um, you know, I had to go back and fine tune things that, that needed fine tuning. So, I, I, I would still say, by far, the best part of my game, what, what sets me aside, puts me on the pro scene, is primarily my leg
0: locks. That's very mature of you, I think. I I, see, I just see, like, this Danner, the DDS stuff. Like, I saw Oliver Taza run through everybody in the Jits King bracket with just, like, the same kind of leg lock entry that was super powerful. And I thought about it, I was like, man, like, that's a. That's such a interesting part of the meta right now, especially for Nogi, is just people's ability to use leg locks to change the course of the entire match. Even somebody's fundamental approach has to change in response to leg locks. Would you say that's true? Yeah, 100%. But it, at this stage in the game, man, it'll only take you so far. Um,
1: We're like, the reason they're winning matches aren't solely because of the leg locks. It just sets up so much positional dominance and causes people to scramble in a way where, you know, you give up position and then you, your neck is exposed or which Tackett's very good at. And, uh, you know, a lot of the guys coming onto the scene now aren't people who are inept at leg locks. They're, they're very good at leg lock defense. And if you play these positions from a non-expert standpoint, they're going to counter you. You pull double outside, someone like Tackett's going to take your back. You know, mm. so you, it, it's a give and take now where people are countering leg locks at such a high level that it has to be a tool, but it can't be your only tool.
0: You know?
2: Okay. So you mentioned that you were watching some uh, Tackett's matches and you and you weren't necessarily like studying but was there anything about his game that like particularly impressed you or anything that like you noted in your head like hey I'm going to have to prepare for this specifically?
1: Yeah, his pressure is incredible. So his uh I believe it's what he teaches in his DVD, his body lock passing, um that's actually one thing I've, I've been trying to train for. Um he fought a close friend of mine, Nick Ronan. I don't know if you guys know him, but he's an absolute savage from DDS. He just won uh the Polaris contender series that we both went out to compete in and in England got invited out. He won the whole fucking thing. And uh, he fought Tackett uh, a year ago in Kasai when we were both on the Kasai event and Tackett did really well against him and ended up taking his back. And, you know, I I know from rolling with Nick, the kid is an absolute killer. You know, he's a world destroyer. So that match was kind of what put Tackett on the stage for me. And since then I've just been kind of paying a little bit of attention, but um, I would say his body lock passing is, is what, yeah, setting aside.
0: Yeah, well, let's get into you for a second. Uh, I actually I would really like to be, you know, we love to get to the separate athletes from just them being because you're obviously you are among the best in the world at what you do. But how did you get started? Because we love to get those athlete stories of, you know, be able to show the audience that it's not impossible. Like the people like the Leandro Lowe's and everybody are a sport. They're human beings. You know what I mean? So we want to know how you got into jujitsu.
1: Oh, for sure, man. So I didn't have that background that Leandro loaded. I didn't grow up in Jiu-Jitsu. And, no, I, I grew up in a mountain town in New York. So I was going to school for neuroscience at Binghamton. And uh, my final year of schooling while I was working as an EMT, um, I started training with the Jiu-Jitsu club there. And when I would come home and visit, there was a local Jiu-Jitsu school run by Mike Wacker, Black Hole Jiu-Jitsu. And I just loved it so much, man. And I, I was considering going to a career in med or working in pharma and, you know, just wasn't very happy. So I ended up kind of bailing on that whole scene, dropping out my fourth year, despite having, you know, pretty solid grades. And as a white belt saying, well, I'm going to do jujitsu as a career full time. So lo and behold, a year later, only doing jujitsu two years at that point, I opened my academy under Mike as a blue belt. And, uh, you know, things things very luckily have been going awesome since. So it was a lot of faith and a lot of uh, a lot of hard work. Um, but you know, I wouldn't advise the, the same path to everybody who wanted to
0: take it. <laughs> wow. That is, um, that is amazing.
2: That is incredible. <laughs> I mean, to way- open your school in two years, especially like, cause, cause you're on the East coast, correct? Yeah. So there, yeah. There's a, a lot, lot
1: of, of very competitive schools in the area.
2: Yeah, exactly. So was that something, were you just like so into jujitsu that that didn't even, you didn't even care about that? Or was it something where you consciously? I
1: didn't want to have to work a job that I didn't like and I wanted to do jujitsu full time. And I was like, well, the only way you could do that is if you teach. So, you know, what started with kind of like a small scale project with 30 students, you know, my academy is expanding now to a a 4,000 foot facility with, you know, upwards of of 90 to 100 guys. So, you know, it's a slow build and, and you learn as you teach. I'm sure if I saw videos of myself teaching as a blue belt now, I'd I'd want to you know punch myself in the face, but that's how <laughs> it goes, man. You learn. So slow progression, a lot of local tournaments, and then a lot of the guys who I you know used to revere in the scene and and look up to as like my idols and and try to emulate. I ended up fighting, you know, and doing pretty well against. So just stick with it, man. Keep doing it, and and good things will happen.
0: And what did you say you went to school for? Neuroscience neuroscience can you explain to me what neuro like i i'm sorry yeah i i didn't uh, come from a good education background i, I did jujitsu too much uh, i didn't learn what neuroscience <laughs> was but um yeah. could you explain to me like what is the study of neuroscience what does that have to what does that go what does that entail <laughs> sorry so
1: the only difference between your standard biology or chemistry degree to a neuroscience degree is there's a lot of very specific focus classes to um Things you eat, things you do, and how it pertains to the brain and the brain health. Um, They go into a lot of basics on why people act the way they do in accordance with like other biological animals and certain tendencies you have as people and how they're manipulated by things like, you know, everyday habits. So, you know, it's a lot of interesting stuff, not too much crossover between jujitsu and neuroscience, but, you know, enough where it, 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 I would say it'll teach you how to think critically and, you know, I would say on average too, your most jujitsu practitioners aren't remarkably educated I mean you got guys like Eddie Cummings and, you know, I'm sure a few others in the scene who have at least bachelor's degrees, but um, especially if you want to open a school, it's just something to set you aside.
0: Okay. You, uh, you mentioned that there's not a lot of crossover between jujitsu and neuroscience. Would you say there is between teaching? Cause teaching is kind of knowing people, how they react to certain situations. Would you say that you're able to kind of think logically about how someone might react to a certain situation just based on oh, what you in neuroscience. And even just general health, man, I feel like the
1: the population has such a lacking in understanding of of general nutrition and body orientation and even how to approach things intelligently like depression and anxiety, which are just rampant through most people you talk to now. So as far as being an instructor dealing with you know a 14 year old who's got some trouble with his girlfriends, there are aspects Of neuroscience that could have some crossover or, you know, a 40 year old guy who just lost his job, the mantra of jujitsu, saving lives and helping people. That's great. But having, you know, a little bit of neuroscience in your pocket certainly helps as well.
2: All right. Yeah, I think that's interesting because a lot of people, most people who do jiu-jitsu, I would say, do it as like an outlet for their stress, or you know, they just kind of want a hobby that they can kind of use to to get away from their you know the normal stresses of everyday life. So to have that knowledge and to kind of understand like how people react in certain situations, I feel like probably did help you build your school more than maybe more than you realized.
1: Well, hundred percent, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm sure there's definitely uh, some lessons learned there that helped a ton, but for the most part, you know. <laughs> jiu-jitsu a uh, pretty isolated self-sufficient yeah. skill
0: yeah no and that's kind of interesting we, we we uh we introduced we uh interviewed Lachlan Giles um as well and he like you, I'm surprised it's shocking actually to me how many people in jiu-jitsu uh nowadays who are like high high level didn't start like in jiu-jitsu they didn't start from a young age they started like you know after they were out of college and then they just dove in and i think that there must be some kind of correlation between what it takes to work hard to get a degree such as yours in neuroscience which i can barely pronounce and going into something like jujitsu which is also incredibly like it takes a lot of intelligence and a lot of open-mindedness to be able to accept all that jujitsu is which is constantly evolving um i just think it's really interesting that we get the opportunity to to interview a lot of people like that you know what i mean because look at you for example you went to college and you stopped and <laughs> i think that's amazing by the way that you stopped as a white and was like i'm gonna do this as a career and now it's working out for you
1: yeah man uh you know i got a lot of uh of shit for it in the beginning but i built enough of a resume now and over the past god knows how so many years that uh i don't think anybody can say anything otherwise now but um you know what's pretty interesting is I think you see these guys who are able to start a jiu-jitsu career later in life because the approach is far different than how you would go into jujitsu jitsu as a 14, 15, 16-year-old kid where training harder in something like jujitsu jitsu is just not training smarter. This is an MMA and toughness can only get you so far. Same with work ethic. And I think the most valuable skill, especially what you're seeing coming out of like the dinner, Death squad and down in the city is training intelligently and training the right techniques off the bat so you don't have to go back and retrain makes a huge difference in the amount of time you have to invest in your career you know i had an amazing coach off the bat mike wacker who you know the the guy is the most humble coach i've ever had and puts his time into his students and the value of him was that if there was something that was unknown he would seek the advice from the best in the opinion or the best in the field you know there was no do this for the sake of doing it it was well what are the best guys in the world doing and that we're going to try and emulate strategies that they use and if something is no longer working, we get rid of it. So, you know, I, I never really had the, uh, the training strategy of train harder all the time. I'm going to be bigger and stronger and faster than you. Cause you know, it's jujitsu, man. And the top guys, it's not really what you're seeing.
2: I think that's so interesting. What you mentioned about like, Almost like an advantage of starting later is like being more cerebral, making sure you're you're covering all your fundamental bases to begin with, so you don't have to go back. But uh, there's another uh, theme that I kind of recognize with people who start later. It's usually that they have a really good mentor or coach. And you mentioned your coach, Mike Wacker. Was he like? W- would you say he was like your main influence in jujitsu, or did you have like other people on the outside that you were kind of consulting to while you were coming up?
1: Uh, Mike Wacker, man, hundred percent. The, the awesome thing about this guy is he has uh, black belts to compete at PANS and IBJJF events. And uh, when I competed at like grappling industries and Naga as a white belt, he had the same enthusiasm for my tournament at Naga that he did for his black belts competing at PANS. You know, and as a coach, taking something like that and using it, you know, and applying it to all of your students, it, they will absolutely pick up on it, man. You know, you if you believe someone's a champion when they first start versus, you know, waiting till they're a purple or a brown belt. Just a different result.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I, I've, oh, go ahead, Jay. No, no, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say that it's amazing that you're able to, because you're also a coach as well. Yes, and mm-hmm. that has to do that pay such dividends. Especially, I mean, like I like to. I love to hear stories about coaches as well because I feel like you guys are are supplementing the future. You guys are going to be giving the the actual the kids and the the people who are coming into the sport a great environment because, like I said, not everybody has the same awesome story growing up. Sometimes they have horrible coaches and there are horrible coaches, but it's nice to hear yeah, about good ones. People
1: leave teams for a good reason, you know. I mm-hmm. understand that.
0: Yeah, and having Mike Wacker, who is. I mean, you obviously you just said it. He has the same enthusiasm for a beginner than he does for a black belt competing at Pans. That's the kind of thing that people need. And I'm Sorry to cut you off, Danny. I was just really excited about that. That really no, really it's resonated. I was going to say something.
2: I was going to say something similar. I feel like coaches who really look at the beginners as equal to all the other students, like obviously if you put more time into Jiu Jitsu, sometimes the coaches are going to give you a little bit more attention or effort, but I feel like the coaches who really help the white belts and really invest time and energy into the beginners, those to me are like the unsung heroes of Jiu Jitsu because they're the people who like plant the seed and they're, they're the ones who are really like growing the sport at like a, at a very like grassroots level, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and it's hard, man. I, I'm a coach, you know. And when you point to a brand new white belt, and you're like, "Okay, your left hand, know your left hand, know <laughs> know your left," <laughs> you, know, you gotta have a ton of patience. So, yeah. um, it's just consistency is key. And he's never wavered, and the same mentality he's kept when I first started five years ago with him is the same one he has now. So it's it's pretty cool to see.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. So you talked about how uh, you opened your school about two years into training, which is like we said, it was, it's a pretty unique thing, but you also were like coming up and competing in all these local tournaments during that. So was it hard to balance like the business aspect, like running the school, teaching classes, and also trying to prepare for competitions and get really good results? Yeah, I did
1: everything wrong. Absolutely (laughs) everything. You you could not have made more mistakes as a school owner than I did when I started my school. So if that answers your question, Uh, competing, I've always done very well with um you know on the five years I've been doing it I haven't lost I've lost only a handful of times maybe and you know they're two guys who are pretty formidable but uh as a school owner and instructor I have made every error someone could possibly make and <laughs> I learned through experience and I'd like to say I'm you know pretty confident in my teaching ability now and the way my school is run it's I'm I'm so proud of what all my guys have accomplished and, and the kind of environment we have at school but yeah man I I was that balance was not there when I first started. I'll say that.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, I just noticed I'm looking at uh, the Black Hole Jiu-Jitsu instructor page, and you have a MMA record of 1-0. and
1: I do. If you want to see the funniest finish in MMA you've ever seen, check out my fight.
0: Is so on I, YouTube? I only
1: know one submission at this point, and it was a Kimura. So I get side control on the guy after, you know, just some bullshit – I almost fell down double leg, but some, you know, I take him down. <laughs> so I set a Kimura from the top, and if you can picture this, I have the Kimura, and he rolls, and I roll with him. So I end up with a chicken wing behind his back, but he was stuck up against the cage. So I was pushing with both hands, his hand towards his head, because his shoulder is stuck with between the cage and the mat. He just taps. <laughs> and I get up, I'm celebrating. It was like ADCC championship, and I just chicken winged the guy in an MMA fight.
0: I have not heard somebody call Kimura a chicken wing unironically in my life. Um, I was
1: on my back. It was behind his back, touching his head. That is beautiful.
0: So, okay, here's my question. This obviously happened a long time ago. Um, Did you start jujitsu with the idea that you wanted to do MMA or was it more of you did MMA just kind of to do it? Did you have any aspirations to continue further? Obviously you haven't done an MMA fight since.
1: No. See, I, I'm see, I might be doing one soon. I just started training with uh Glover Teixeira because there's uh one of my coaches trains down there and he's he's Glover's coach, John Nandor. And oh, um I, I did a little bit of boxing when I was eighteen. So when I went up to Binghamton and started with the club there, I was like, Ah, fuck it. I can take an MMA fight, no problem. It's like, you know, a local Cage Wars tournament. This was before the regulation, so it was no shin guards and uh tiny gloves and all that, and it worked out fine. But um As far as having the neuroscience background and wanting to continue a career in MMA, the knowledge of what happens to your brain when you get punched and kicked too many times scares the living crap out of me. So I I think that always kind of prevented me from going too far down that avenue.
0: Yeah, man. Watching Dustin Poirier last night. I was just going to say that, dude. Made me think about that the entire fight. And that guy is like a man. He's a good human being. I almost want him to win the title and just retire. Like, dude, stop. Because you cannot have too many Dustin Poirier fights if you're – like, every fight is like that. Every Look at Ferguson, man. man.
2: Yeah, yeah, Ferguson too. It takes it's a insane. beating.
0: God, and, and, and that's like – I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of different coaches who have worked with MMA fighters, and they all say the same thing. They always say, like, they hope their fighter wins a title and retires. Like, <laughs> like, man, just win the title, defend it maybe once or twice for the grandkids and retire. Like, yeah. yeah.
1: It's not like Jiu-Jitsu, man. And they're finding out now with the, you know, not to be a downer, but with the most recent evidence they're coming out with, it's not the big hits which cause damage. It's yeah. there's a direct correlation with how many fights or how many sparring matches a, a fighter has and the amount of damage to different parts of the brain, like gray gray matter and processing areas. So, you know, every time you get tapped, you're doing a little bit more damage than if you had not. So that was enough to scare me. Not saying you shouldn't do it. If that's your passion, you know, I'm I'm training it right now at Glover School. So I'm a huge hypocrite, but, uh, you know, you you gotta be careful. There's no reason to have those wars in the gym sparring three times a week and getting bashed up.
0: Well, I think there's something to be said for the knowledge. Like, you know, the risk and you, you might even know, like, because you know the risk you're able to augment your game to where maybe you're not getting hit as much. Like look at Khabib. It'd be Khabib nice smart. Khabib is smart because he makes it a wrestling match and he's not getting hit a lot. Yeah, so but it's you like know, he's going to have a one career. in a million of those guys. So, That's for sure. True, yeah. But I, I do you feel like maybe your 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 background and what you know like is going to inspire you to change your game and maybe you could be like lowering the odds from one in a million to one in every like 100,000?
1: I think yes, but For it's the same as the leg lock wave in Jiu Jitsu. Mm. So the leg lock wave came about, everybody was far behind, everybody was getting leg locked by the Danner guys. Well, they're still getting leg locked, but everyone got much better. And now the the movement has moved on to back attacks. So in MMA, if you're the best in the world at not getting hit and taking people down, some striker is gonna counter it and eventually you're gonna get tagged, you know? So it's yeah. just you're if you're locking two men in a cage with the intent of bashing each other's brains in, someone's gonna take some damage.
0: Yeah, (laughs) that's that's the idea, right? For our entertainment. Yeah, I love it. I'm a huge fan. Oh, me too. Me too. One of my dreams is to commentate the UFC one day. Oh my God, man. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Danny's going to do it too.
2: Yeah, I feel like definitely MMA can be more lucrative, but I feel with a lot of the Jiu Jitsu events coming up, like they're paying better payouts and, you know, sponsorships are getting better. And you even alluded to like some of the big events that you've been on. So I kind of wanted to get into that too. Like you said, you did Kasai and then you obviously did the Sub Spectrum Invitational. Um, but like, what are some of the big events that, that you did coming up?
1: Um, I did Sub Spectrum Pro in Nova Scotia. I did, I'm sorry, uh, Sub Series Pro in, in Nova Scotia. Um, I did Sub Spectrum, I did Kasai, I did the Grappling Idiot 60 minute Invitational, um, I did the Polaris Contender Series in England, and that was uh, right before coronavirus hit. It was like March 10th I got back or some shit. Man. Oh, We're man. Really yeah. Um, where's the other ones? I don't know. I, I've done I, mm-hmm. pretty much everything out there I've, I've, I've done in the past few years. My accolades section on the website is... Longer than I know what to do with.
2: Yeah, it's big. It's a big one. I think Looking I saw it right you now. did the, the BJJ Fanatics Invitational too. Did you do that one? Yeah,
1: did the BJJ Fanatics Invitational. Um, that's where the first round I, I did very well. I got my ass kicked by uh, Giancarlo Budini for like the first four minutes, and I ended up breaking his leg with an inside heel hook. Oh, man. And then the second round, I went for a toe hold, and I think it was the pressure set up from the first match. I went to twist the toe hold, and my rib popped. So I'm sitting there screaming, and Big Gord comes over with Advil. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, pretty interesting day. <laughs>
0: Big Gord. <laughs> that's awesome. You're like, oh my He's God, it's Gord Ryan's dad. Yeah.
2: <laughs> that's so so funny. doing doing all those events, you probably fought a bunch of like high-level or like well-known guys. Um, do you have any like matches in particular that that you remember with like really high level or well-known guys? Uh let
1: me think. One that one that sticks out to me. Um, when I was, this isn't a very spectacular story, but when I was a blue belt, I remember thinking I was the hottest shit in the world. Like, you know, man, like all the upper belts are going easy on you. You're doing local tournaments and beating like local black belts, but they're not commensurate with like the Lucas Lepreys of the world who I want to like, you know, one day go after now. But, uh, you know, I thought I was hot shit and I did this Grappling Industries Grand Prix And I ended up finishing third. There was, like, 35 competitors and a lot of really good black belts. And I fought Jason Rao, who ended up winning the thing. And I was like, I know he's really good, man. He's a fantastic black belt. But, like, I'm ready and I can hold my own. Man, he He swept me and gently walked past my guard and armbarred me in, like, 30 seconds. And that was, like, a wake-up call to be like, all right, you're not there yet. You got some time.
0: Yeah. It's hard, too, right? Like – you man, that that feeling of confidence, especially when like you're just coming up, is and then getting getting that like result. I know exactly how that feels. That's how I felt it's, against Gabriel Arges.
1: You know, and if 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 you want to be any good in this sport, you're gonna lose and you gotta learn to get better from it. So that that was a very big wake up call that there's levels to this shit. And uh you know, if you want to be successful, then you gotta be able to hang with, with guys like Jason Rao, who's savage, man. I think it was it was the most embarrassing loss I've had in a competition.
0: You know, uh, I met Jason Rao at the jiu King tournament, and I didn't know who he was because I – like th- this podcast has taught me how to be like – like I feel like I know a lot more people than I ever did. Danny is like a walking encyclopedia of jiu-jitsu. It's actually insane, <laughs> um, and he's teaching me, but I didn't know who Jason Rao was, so I walked by. I'm like, oh, excuse me, sir, and I didn't – I. He doesn't know that I didn't know who he was. He, I was like in my gear. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm competing. And he's like, yeah, me too. And I was like. Oh <laughs> and then he went out there in like just like the slickest leg lock. And I'm like, OK, now I know that this guy is a savage. I do not want to fight him because I don't know how to defend that. <laughs> you and know what I mean? He's so, very good, man. Yeah. And I had that similar wake up call that you're talking about versus Gabriel Arges. So I, I know what you're talking about. Uh, the the yeah. gently the gently taking my back off of my bitter bowl or off of my 50 50 was um and then I found out I had a scratch on my back so I wasn't exactly a a, a gentle back take but it felt pretty smooth <laughs> I actually have a question about so you uh I'm seeing here in your accolades you know like kasai subspectrum Spectrum, uh sogi reality fighting the are these mostly nogi competitions all nogi um all nogi I teach the at my school I think it's important to learn in um, especially if you're first starting.
1: You know, a lot of people would disagree, but I, I see a lot of value in it. Um, me personally, I don't want to ever put it on again.
0: <laughs> okay, I, that was going to be my question. No, Do you I, ever want to compete in the Gi? I,
1: I I did it just to say I did last year. I had I did an absolute tournament gammon in the Gi. I had four submissions all within a minute, and I was like, I did my piece. I'm out.
0: <laughs> Dang, you just said... <laughs> I'm just gonna submit everybody and win the absolute division, and then I'm never gonna put a gi on again. Yeah, that that's enough for me, man. I hate it. You know what it is? I got, I got. Let me let me explain something,
1: to you guys. I got small hands. All right. You're a tease. <laughs>
0: that's the real <laughs> explanation. I
1: got small hands, and I grab the lapel, and guys who have bigger hands can grab my lapel, and I can't break their grips. It feels like it's just. It's, I don't want to play that game.
0: So your lack of whopper hands is why you don't want to play in the gi? 100%. I, I completely percent. <laughs> <100%. laughs> okay. Well, I mean, uh, kudos for giving me the exact opposite of what I thought the explanation was going to be. I thought you were just going to say you enjoy no gi more and you don't like the gi. But that is a
2: uh, uh, – I guess that's it's I like,
0: – I don't know, man. Having big hands is a, a privilege, I guess.
2: It's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it's bullshit, Jake. <laughs> You're not allowed to have big hands. <laughs> Whatever, sorry
0: like cheating <laughs> well yeah but i was i was also i was blessed with big hands cursed with like a higher too high of a metabolism to gain any semblance of weight so you guys can, <laughs> you guys can keep your muscular form and your strength and i'll just take my big hands and keep my gear on yeah
1: i got i got 20 pounds of beer in me since uh quarantine started so i gotta cut that before the tacking match
0: <laughs> i was gonna ask about the beard i was gonna be like that's a lumberjack beard man
1: uh i said beer but i got a beard too
0: no no i know i was asking about the beard because you look like a man who enjoys beer with that that heavy of a beard are you gonna keep that beard for uh your match with tackett
1: i'm kind of playing it day by day man i haven't shaven since new year's and uh i'm not really sure why but uh i'm gonna keep it going for now that's All that's right. my decision on that.
0: that i can't uh i cannot grow that much like it stops about right here like that's yeah. it and it just looks like i'm like a meth dealer or something it's the one it <laughs> makes me look really patchy. awful yeah it just looks <laughs> patchy and no matter how i do it it makes me look like i enjoy drugs like bad ones so i am not gonna keep a beard for sure yeah you're
1: that's not sorry. missing much man whatever you eat for breakfast you just taste throughout the rest of the day so i, I would suggest <laughs> against
0: it dang you're yeah, definitely some hypocritical. Uh, a lot of hypocritical values. Being honest, man, I'm trying to steer everyone in the right direction.
2: <laughs> All right. So I had a question, kind of, kind of go back on the gi and no gi topic. Uh, you mentioned that you feel like the gi does have some value, even for people who who want to do no gi. And I was, I was thinking about this a little bit earlier today and thinking about, like, what the strengths are of the gi and, uh, and kind of what the strengths are of developing a game if you do mostly no-gi. And I was kind of – my initial thoughts were, like, I feel like positionally and for escapes, the gi is really good. It's a really good training tool for that. But I feel like the guys who do no-gi, um, they, they just have better submission skills. They're better at finishing people, and they know how to, like, use their positions to end the fight. Would you agree with that?
1: I would. I would say they're tougher in scrambles, but the primary – Uh, benefit that I see to the gi is is understanding body tension. So you just get this proprioception because you're constantly pushing and pulling on every different part of the human body. You realize how it moves where and when based on um, the kind of leverage you're applying and you learn it quicker in the gi than you do no gi where I could set a grip on your hand, but most of the time I'm going to need a full underhook to come up or I'm going to need a clean sweep where you're on the ground and I have the ability or, or some kind of wrestling engagement. Whereas with the gi, it's just there's so much give and take when you grab the elbow and you pull, you see where they have to tighten up and move backwards and keep their balance. And it goes the same for defending. If someone's pulling and pushing you and you have to keep appropriately, it, it, I think the crossover is, is pretty significant. It's
0: mm-hmm. a very interesting take. So,
1: yeah. I prefer all my white belts to to do more Gi than no Gi because I, I, I truly do believe it helps. Um, and then around purple belt, you know, if they don't want to compete in the Gi, I don't care.
2: I think probably some of it has to do, too, with the, the rule sets that most gi guys compete in and versus what most no-gi guys compete in. Like, there's a lot of different no-gi rule sets, and there's a lot of submission-only type stuff, and the IBJJF rule set really favors, like, positional dominance, so guys can win world titles by, you know, sweeping and passing the guard, whereas, like, in a no-gi, submission-only format, you're you really have to hone those finishing skills because that's how you win the matches.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say that people have evolved to kind of find stalling tactics in both. And, you know, and, yeah. and I used to be of the mind that the IBJJF rule set was was far behind and just encourages a stalling mentality. And then I switched the other way. And now, I mean, so, uh, for example, I fought uh, Atos Miranda at Grappling Idiots. Mm-hmm. Um, I had broke my foot in the match before because I got double-legged onto concrete by Chris Ramos, Ooh. and he cracked my heel. It was fractured. So we taped oh, my goodness. foot up in the back, and I had to hop onto the mat. All right. It was a, a points tournament that uh, I think there were 10 minute matches. Beginning of the match with Athos, I can't stand up. One foot's in the air. So I immediately hop over and pull guard. He sees me pull guard. And the rule was that if someone pulls guard and the other opponent stands, you get a point. OK, I pull guard. Otto stands up. He gets one point. For the next 10 minutes, I was attacking him with one foot, but was unable to come up to secure any sweep. Every time I got a leg lock, he ran out of bounds, and he won the match 1-0 in a 10-minute match against an opponent with one foot. Okay, <laughs> So obviously stalling is allotted in that kind of uh, rule set. If you do something like IBJJFG, and let's say the whole six-minute match, you have the guy stuck in closed guard. You want to get an advantage point with, with a minute and a half left. You go for some shoddy arm bar or whatever attempt, or you almost get a sweep and then you pull the guy in close guard, You're, the top player's ability to escape and start trying to score points is so much more mitigated than the person on bottom's ability to keep them in the position. So I understand that these, kind of, uh, these kinds of rule sets encourage or uh, reward people who act first, but I still think the best way to do it by far is to have referee decision matches. Okay, um, Hire a qualified ref who, who everyone trusts, have the match and whoever had the most positional dominance, whoever was the most aggressive, whoever had center uh, control of the mat space and went for the most submissions or had the tightest submissions gets the win. And it's based on the entire picture of the match, everything put together. There's no point for this point for that, which can be manipulated by an intelligent you know, competitor and not someone who's actively looking to win the match. Um, just kind of take, take the whole thing and combine it. So for a pro tournament, instead of doing like EBI overtime, which I hate, man, because I, I can't tell you the amount of times I've been stalled out to EBI overtime. You should have three judges on the side and they should be watching the match. And if someone's backing up the whole time, well, guess what? You know, you're out. If, if you don't think your jujitsu is good enough to engage this opponent and actively pass his guard, you lose. If your guard, if your guard skills and you pulled aren't aggressive enough, well, then you lose. You know, but it's about who's, who's engaging more and looking to match their skill against his opponents
0: and win. Thank you,
2: Jake. Please comment on the Do EBI. Like EBI overtime.
0: EBA rule set sucks. <laughs> it's the <awful> worst. worst. <laughs> I am usually like on this show. I try to maintain a position of diplomacy, neutrality, neutrality. <laughs> F EBI rules.
2: <laughs> Isn't the tournament
1: they're doing now only EBI overtime? It's just dude. yeah, it's
2: just overtime. Like, can I curse on the show? Yes, dry. you can curse.
1: What the fuck is this shit that they're doing? They had the best organization in the world, man, and they ruined it. Oh, it's so slapping each agree. other. Ebi overtime slapping each other. Yeah, it's the dumbest shit I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, I I hold the same opinion. I'm glad I'm glad we agree on that. I uh, dude, and I like your idea. So. You OK, so a, a qualified ref, maybe qualified three refs that can get together instead of putting up their flag, maybe like, OK, the match is over. They get together. They talk about it. Who won? OK, you think this guy won? You OK, cool. Let's go back to our decision like how they do in Spider Korea. I think they have like once the match is over, they're standing there for a minute and they have the little uh, session. Uh, would you say a shorter fight? 10 minutes is a long time, and it makes sense in the IBJJF rule set, given all the rules. But let's say it's like, okay, the IBJJF legalities are the same. It's submission only with a, with a referee's decision. So basically, like, fight to win except for with qualified refs that aren't just, like, you know, traveling around with them. It's, it's a tournament like that. Uh, <clears throat> submission only, IBJJF legality, so, like, no heel hooks or heel hooks are allowed. Absolutely
1: all submissions legal.
0: In the gi? Oh, uh, I, I see no reason.
1: So I, I've heard a, a story recently of why heel hooks are illegal in the gi, and it had to do with uh, different socioeconomic classes having certain tattoos or shoes on when they train. And reaping exposes the heel, and that was the reason for it. I was told this by some Brazilian. Have either of you heard that before? No.
2: <laughs> no, but it, no, it sounds interesting, though. Like Imagine wearing shoes and getting heel hooked. That That's different than getting heel hooked without shoes on. Do you guys have any take
1: on why reaping is not allowed in the gi? Because as far as the danger aspect goes, that poses no argument to me because we're in a sport where you're trying to break people's limbs and choke them. I'm going to so give you why? the
0: old man. I'm going to give you the old man reason because oh, it's been funny. that way for a long time, and don't argue. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, dude, you know, I never thought about it. Um, I think for the sake of like – I mean I understand – I don't have an argument. I don't have an argument. I just think that uh, so many tournaments in the gi don't allow it. That that's, I mean, so many people. There's so many people who are so used to not training for it in the gi that it might just make sense to keep them separate.
1: Yeah, but that's the beauty of our sport. So competition is the testing grounds, which which renders all successful techniques eventually obsolete for the new generation of what's going to work. And if you never introduce heel hooks into the gi. Well, then you're you're arbitrating effectiveness and you're ruining the sport. You know, our, our whole nature is based around effectiveness. That's why we train. We don't we don't do yeah. katas and practice karate chops because it doesn't work. And, the, you know, the beauty of jujitsu is if we introduce some new technique into the competition scene that works, eventually the evolution of jujitsu, people will catch up to it and they will learn how to defend it and something else will reign king. So if you never introduce heel hooks into the gi, you're keeping a whole facet of what works and how people could involve to be even better shut down. You know, okay. I, I don't really see the argument for it.
0: Um, I actually just remembered this detail. Uh, back in the day, uh, you were allowed to reap. You were allowed to reap and throw a toehold as a blue belt uh, mm-hmm. a while ago. I think they stopped allowing reaping because of injury, because they were, they were, Afraid of competitors getting injured more often, they wanted to keep more people doing the sport. I think that's why, if I remember correctly, which I would sounds only like a more physical argument, argument
1: would be that competitors should tap earlier if they're being heel hooked. Mm-hmm. And I that. feel
2: like too, like when you hear when you hear a lot of like top level guys who are good at heel hooks talk about the submission. Like they pretty much say that a lot of them say that they haven't seen more injuries in heel hooks than they've seen in other submissions. And so you, like reaping, they talk about like, oh, you can only move your knee one direction. Well, I mean, if you're knee barring someone, it's not like they have multiple angles to escape. Like they really, you're limiting them to moving their knee in one direction. That's like the whole point of the submission. Yeah,
1: it's maleducation, man. I can't tell you the amount of black belts who are very good and knowledgeable jujitsu practitioners who come through my school who just have no idea, you know? People don't understand. I mean, even someone like BJ Penn, who's a legend, you look at him versus Ryan Hall. He rolled the wrong way to escape the heel hook. How does that happen? You know? So I think if you start introducing these these basic classes on, you know, concepts like hold the heel instead of rip it and how to move correctly and when to tap, you'll be fine. But the number one thing, if there's any white and blue belts listening and you want to prevent injuries, your neck neck cranks, guillotines, all that stuff, man. If you're in a heavy choke and people are putting the pressure on, but it's not a blood choke and the pressure is so immense that you want to tap, always fucking tap. I have a herniated disc in my neck and I've had four knee surgeries in the past few years. Nothing hails to how bad my neck is. So I, that that is the, the bigger issue to me than the leg locks.
2: Yeah. I feel like neck injuries and shoulder injuries from not tapping to Kimoras are like Pretty much the most common injuries that I see in terms of like major injuries. Like you know, you'll pop an elbow, pop a knee, or your foot or whatnot. But I see people mess up their like shoulders in tournaments all the time just from not tapping to Kimuras. Yeah, sure, believe
0: yeah, cool. It. uh did a crazy. I wonder how his that poor man is doing. The one that got Kimored by and you could hear oh, it like wait, a gunshot throughout the. Uh, yeah, yeah, dude. I hope that man's doing okay. Yeah, I just don't know. That was gross. <laughs> that, yeah, that one is like I don't usually like I have a pretty strong stomach, but there are a few videos I've seen to where I actually I cringe thinking about it, and that's one of them.
2: Mm. Mm. So you yeah, mentioned. Oh, go it? ahead. I was. You can go ahead. Sorry.
1: So uh, if you want to see a gross one, it's on my Instagram. When I when I fought John uh, Boudini again, man, the guy's pressure passing was insane. He uh, I think he was number one heavyweight brown belt in the world IBJJF when I fought him. And uh, he passed my guard. He was tuning me up pretty good. I ended up catching him in a 50-50 heel hook. And his whole knee blew out. And as he's screaming, refs from the IBJJF or the, uh, the BJJ Fanatics come out. And they just drag him off the mat like it was a kumite. Oh, my
0: God. <laughs> Are you serious? It was pretty weird, man.
2: <laughs> By his arms. <laughs>
0: uh, what tournament was it? BJJ Fanatics. White mats. <clears throat> and, uh, uh, was this the one where you broke his leg? Yes. All right, so I'm going to well you're going to get my live reaction to this right now. Let's I actually see
1: watched
2: it before the interview and it was, get it under was really
1: bad. 50-50. Volume's important there.
2: <laughs> he's a he's a tough competitor too.
1: Dude, he's a monster.
2: So, what I was going to ask you is you mentioned that you had all those knee surgeries and you have that neck injury too. Um ha- have you had like a lot of injuries throughout your whole time competing and like how have you kind of like worked around them after you get injured? Because I feel like for professional competitors, they pretty much have to train year round. So like, if you get like a bad injury or you have a surgery, you still kind of have to find a way to, to work around it most of the time, unless it's like extremely catastrophic. So do you have advice for people, for people who are like maybe dealing with that type of stuff and, um, still need to be able to train?
1: I would say that overtraining is probably pretty rampant in jujitsu. And I know that's not a, a common, um, or a popular opinion to hold. Um, but I, again, I think it's trained smarter, not harder for us. is onto the right idea. When he talked about on Joe Rogan, that doing three rounds and training five days a week is better than doing two training sessions and being the crap okay. out of your body. Cause the inflammation you build up over those training sessions and the fatigue you get mentally, it'll take away the fun from training as well. So, um, I, I have no ACLs right now and no meniscuses. I've had two ACL constructions. Uh, I retore one of the ACLs they put in and then I retore the other one. And then I've had two full meniscectomies, okay? Things like yoga and swimming and stretching in the morning and eating healthy, you know, all the boring stuff is what's really going to save you. So, um, you know, guys, if you want to be in it for a while, don't beat the crap out of your body like I did. And uh, train smart, not hard.
2: Do you feel like if you uh, took your own advice, like back in the day before those injuries happened, you would have been able would- to prevent them?
1: But, uh, yeah. I, it's kind of like a double edged sword, though. I don't think I would have become as good of a competitor if I had that mindset early on. Um, but I probably would have been able to do jiu jitsu for a lot longer. So, you know, there is a trade off.
0: Here's a, a quick update um, I watched <laughs> the match and uh, listened to the sound. And I, I I try I had to take my face away from my mic to not laugh because it was kind of they literally like like if there was like a cartoon cane that could come up and pull the guy <laughs> off the mat that's what happened. Uh, it was like whoop like it, it's just a, yeah. that's that's two guys folks. in black come out of the curtains and just drag him away. Dude, oh my, that yeah. was a it was rough man that's that's a that's um kind of scary that that you did that um but anyway. I wanted to also chime in and say that that's something I had to think about too. Uh, I actually – I've been very lucky. I've done jiu-jitsu the past decade, and I started when I was a kid, um, so it's a little different. I feel like when you're a kid, you can train as much as you want and you're a kid. like You're going to heal from everything, but like, I really uh, got scared. It was Pan Am's like, 2018. I fought Kenyella Kawani from uh, CTA, and he, he popped my knee, and it ended up tearing my LCL – and putting a lot of pressure on my meniscus and I the doctor was gonna have to have surgery and I was like no and then I ended up like being very lucky not having to get surgery it wasn't a complete tear but ever since then I've really tried to make stretching and everything like that a priority I'm I am so shocked at how much eating healthy makes a difference mm. it's crazy it like it actually I feel like that's something that every fight and I'm glad you're you're speaking in a way that um people listen to it they can be like okay he's giving advice to me how long ago, how long into your career did you, was it directly as a result of your schooling that you realized how important eating healthy was? Was there anybody who inspired you to do that?
1: No, the schooling definitely helped. I'm not going to, I'm not going to not give credit to it, but I did a lot of personal research even when I was, uh, you know, like 16, 17, 18 years old. And don't get me wrong, man. I I drink, I drink beer like it's water. You know, it's one of my favorite things, but with the good or with the bad, you, you got to take care of the good as well. And my my diet's pretty on point as far as, um you know, anti-inflammatory foods and avoiding things which you probably shouldn't ingest goes like, I just finished a book called Estrogenetics, which talks about different estrogens and common household, you know, products like uh, plastic water bottles and fertilizers and non-organic meats and veggies that can cause Inflammation and decrease in, in hormones, which would make you heal quicker like testosterone. So it's just I, – I think the benefits to eating clean food and meat, you'll feel pretty quick. And they're just so numerous, man. Even drinking enough water. Like if you're an athlete who beats your body up like we do, it just – it
0: can't hurt to treat yourself a little better in that respect. Could you elaborate a little bit on what you just talked about with the estrogen? Because you said plastic – okay, so plastic water bottles – what what kind of foods would like a normal person or an athlete maybe think to eat that they shouldn't be eating
1: so this was an interesting study that they they kind of went over a person a man who drinks generic milk non-organic milk that they'd get from you know the grocery store within an hour of consuming it has a measurable effect on their testosterone levels so it's negatively correlated with the amount of milk that's drank okay The reason for this is that a lot of the soy or the the feed that the cows get is soy based, which is estrogenic. Um, A lot of the cows have higher levels of estrogen in their blood at the time they take the milk from them because they produce more milk with estrogens. And, uh, you know, we're consuming these products as men, which you really shouldn't do because it messes up your endocrine system. On top of that, the meat in the cows, which we use, let's say they are fed soy and grain and it's non-organic meat. Um, a lot of the soy and grain is sprayed down with a fertilizer called atrazine. Atrazine is remarkably estrogenic. and the EU, the, the European Union has a zero limit tolerance level for atrazine, whereas in the US, because it's so highly lobbied for it, the levels that you can ingest are dangerously high. So most common foods like wheat, soy, and a lot of sugar is sprayed with, at- with atrazine and test for high enough levels that if it's not organic, there's a measurable effect on your testosterone levels if you eat
0: non-organic meat. So you should really, as an athlete, everything you eat should be organic. It's pretty much a base level of what I'm hearing here.
1: You eat food three times a day every day on average. So even if you want to improve one of your meals, you know, and eat organic eggs in the morning instead of non-organic, you know, because it's expensive, man. Um, I think making a slight change is better than doing nothing. Um, ideally, should you only eat clean food? Yes. Is that viable for most people in our position? Not exactly. A lot of jujitsu bums aren't, aren't loaded, so... Um, <laughs> It's do the best you can, and I think it's just important to be aware of it, and uh, you know, know what you're putting in your body.
0: Yeah, that, that's like one of the most important things I've heard in a long time. And I, I, I work with Natalia Shantri, who is a, a a dietitian as well, and she, but it's she tells me eat organic food, right? But hearing why and hearing like the the measurable facts behind it is enough to like jar. I think anybody.
1: Oh, it's crazy, man! It's crazy. Um, they go into a lot of other basic factors as well, like in cheaply produced coffee, there's mycotoxins, which are remarkably estrogenic. And these are all things that are not on small enough levels where oh, over a few years you'll get a measurable effect. Now, I mean it's again, after drinking one glass of milk, your testosterone levels significantly decrease. You know, so I think the problem, which is a problem in the country of, of decreasing testosterone levels in men compared to 20 years ago, is something that should be addressed and looked to improve. You know, and even like anabolic steroids, the whole function of them is to imp- to to raise androgen levels in the body or mimic higher levels of androgens. So if you can do that naturally with having to go on juice, just by improving your diet and the amount of water you drink, you might have to save. You know, where you, you might save yourself from making a poor decision like using anabolics.
0: Let me ask you this. This may sound like a stupid question, but this is all bad for men, right? <laughs> is it bad for women? Yeah. So higher levels of estrogen
1: in the body are directly associated with higher cancer rates, with um, a host of mental disorders and deformities in the brain, with uh, breast and ovarian cancer. You know, so it's it's bad for everyone.
0: Okay. Okay. The body. I didn't want that to sound doing like what the body question. does.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that's,
0: I totally understand. Okay. Cool. Wow. That is. I'm, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna have to. What What is this book called? It's a very poorly written book with a lot of very good
1: information, but it's called Generation.
0: Estro Generation. That is going to be my next read for sure. I really – I'm scary. trying to it, – well, it's scary, but it's information. And I feel like um, being scared with the information to make it less scary is better than just being scared. I agree. <laughs> it's like knowing the plot of the scary movie, being like, okay, I'm going to get scared right here, but I know what to do. Close my eyes. Yeah. <laughs>
2: So uh, we talked about uh, your match coming up with Tackett at BJJ Woodstock. Do you have any other events coming up or anything else like you're preparing for?
1: Uh, so I I said before, I'm training at Glowrick Teixeira's. Um, he's been more than gracious enough to let me train with his, his MMA team. And uh, I would like to take an MMA fight this year just to, to get one more out of the way and have some fun with it. um, Because the jujitsu jitsu scene right now is, you know it's not as lively as it would be. And uh, also I'm just having fun with it, man. I- I've had so many jujitsu competitions in the past few years that, uh, you know, a three month break and only doing a few a year. So I can focus on things that I, you know, enjoying the sport and learning and teaching, um, would be pretty fun. So other than, uh, BJ Woodstock in August, I don't really have my mind on anything specific right now. If something came up, I'd be happy to take it, but I'm not actively looking.
0: Mm-hmm. It's gonna be a very exciting event too. Do you, uh, I know you're doing the super fight, but um, are you excited? Are you excited for like the other parts of it? Like, I know there's a there's gonna be a fest. Is it the festival Friday or is the festival Sunday? Sunday, the festival Sunday. So, are you gonna are you gonna have any things that you're doing in the festival? Like anything you can promote that uh, you're gonna be a part of in the festival? I'm
1: not too sure yet. Um, I haven't done my research to the way I should. Um, I know Jordan is is an absolute. <clears throat> You know, I mean, he, he's a real lover of the sport. And as far as somebody you want running these kinds of events, he he's one of the most trustworthy guys as far as a promoter that I know.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely. It's absolutely remarkable that uh, we have the opportunity to work with uh, with Jordan.
2: I think we lost we Aaron.
0: May or may not have lost Aaron Harris. You know, there's a weird trend going on right now, Danny O'Donnell, where uh, the, the men and or women that we are uh, – interviewing they hit a point of internet unavailability yes
2: and it is i okay. think one of the times it was it was my internet <laughs> one I of the times my, it was your internet but yeah. that's okay
0: it's just uh it's
2: I reset just my, it's my router this morning to make sure it wouldn't happen and uh everything seems to be running better but but yeah
0: unfortunately we are stuck on aaron harris's uh slightly sweaty brow and large beard in a pixelated form (laughs) which is okay no but um you know i uh i mean this is bound to happen the internet you know a lot of people are on the internet
2: hello oh
1: (laughs) (laughs) you guys hear me yes now we can hear you you. okay sorry i think i got disconnected
2: no No you're good you're good
0: no worries we we uh we've had that happen before it's it's odd but i think um the internet like, and, and connectivity in general is probably pr- pretty weird right now. I know the world's opening ba- – or the United States is opening back up a little bit, but uh, I think people are still on the are on the internet a lot, and that might have something to do with the connectivity. Yeah. But, if, if I could ask you guys a question, where where are you guys uh, training right now? Where are you located at? Uh, we both live in Arizona. Danny lives in Tempe, Arizona, and I live about 20 minutes away from that in Mesa, Arizona. I, I train and I cooperate <clears throat> my school maracaba bjj and I, I you know i i me and danny are two of the competitors out of arizona i think the only two i'm just kidding but um we, there's not a, a huge there, we have a bigger jiu-jitsu scene down here than i think a lot of people think but um i've been competing a lot lately and, and danny trains with marcio andre black belt under marcio andre yes New are dad. you
1: guys training right now what's the status on schools there
0: so it's like, yes, we are, we are open, but we're taking the necessary precautions. We're cleaning the gym a lot. We're letting people know if they're not comfortable, don't come in like, Hey, we're doing this, we're doing our classes and we're just kind of playing it by ear. You know what I mean? If somebody gets sick, then, you know, we have to take the, the right precautions there, but I am able to train. I am able to teach, um, Danny, how are you doing down at your school?
2: Yeah. So like in terms of the state regulations, we opened about a month ago but our cases have like really shot up recently. We're actually one of the worst states now um in terms of like the number of cases and the percent increase since we opened. So we kind of had to scale back a little bit cuz we started where we were like doing pretty much normal training and now we're kind of doing more like single partner stuff and like keeping our distance more, but I mean the gyms are still open. They haven't gone back on any of the any of the openings, but how how is it for you in New York?
1: Well, we gyms were supposed to open on the 6th of of july and uh cuomo just scaled that back and when we called the state department asking when we will likely be able to open they said they don't know and they were unsure where martial arts schools and jiu-jitsu gyms fall into place so for the foreseeable future <laughs> we will not be able to train
0: jujitsu jitsu in new york oh wow yeah and i i totally kind of felt that i've been thinking about new york lately like how you guys are going to be i think uh that just sucks man, like i really I sucks. really hope you guys can train i and I feel so bad because like there's so many great people that live in New York and like really great human beings, and they train jujitsu and now they don't have like what they love to do right now. Are you able to like drill with friends? are you able to do anything like that?
1: I am uh, I have stayed I've stayed entirely active with my training um since the quarantine with you know a select group of people who. Uh, we only train together and, uh, I don't know, man, it's just hard because you, you have the number one risk factor for coronavirus being obesity and insulin sensitivity. And then you tell people they have to stay home, not exercise. And, you know, they're likely eating crappy food and it's, it's tough, but you know, people who reach out to me and are trying to get training and we usually figure something out where whether it's training outside or doing very small scale select groups in private but mm-hmm. as far as opening for the public, that's still
0: absolutely out of the question. Yeah, it is a real it – it's a weird times we're living in, man. And it's still like – man, we uh, I think uh, right at, it was right after we start, maybe a little after we started this podcast that it hit. And, yeah, uh, like
2: about two months.
0: Yeah, about two months after we started. And like we still – it's still a thing. I, I really hope that we can at least get some answers as to what's going on because it's still – it still feels like people still don't really know what's going on. I mean, there's antibody yeah, tests.
1: Information every single day. I'm just that like, I'm not making any more assumptions on when we're going to be able to open or what when quality of life is going to return to normal because I have no fucking clue at this point. And trying
2: to follow it
0: is is just it's completely fruitless.
2: Yeah, you know, it's exhausting.
0: It yeah. is. It really is, and it's kind of disheartening because it's like, man, when are we actually going to get like? It almost it, and like I'm not gonna. I don't want to sound like a. I am relating to conspiracy theorists or nothing like that. But it almost seems like, is there the truth out there? You know what I mean? Like, do are we getting the truth, you know? But I hope we are. I really hope we are. I do too. I just want to train jiu-jitsu, man. I just want to go to I want to go <laughs> to go New York and We're train like people. We're like rackets. And, you can't yeah, tell us to do jiu Yeah. No. Like, I just want to do jiu-jitsu. <laughs> and then you got masks at your house, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. black gee, blue doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny dude no but that's yeah and i that is what it's going to turn into Jitsu. i know that um a guy down here named paul manganaro has a t-shirt com- or a t-shirt and gi company called union or roll union he made one that uh it was a guy in handlebars with a gi on saying jujitsu is not a crime so it was pretty <laughs> it was a pretty cool t-shirt but uh yeah oh, dude awesome. i really i'm just like I'm ready for it to be over too, dude. I mean, there's there's tests you can do. You can even mail in your own test and there's no upfront cost. You you can pay for it with your insurance. I think it's like $119 though to get a, a coronavirus test to see if you have it. And then there's an antibody test that with a doctor's referral, it's free. So I- But
1: haven't I, they said that the antibodies only last like two? So I remember seeing a study last month where they said in South Korea, you can only get the virus once. And I was like, wow, that's really good to hear. And then two weeks ago, I see some shit that's like, oh, the antibodies only last two months. Yeah.
2: So I'm like, why the fuck would you even get tested? Right. Like, you what could, the? it's like almost like you would have to just keep getting tested, but I six mean, times a year. Yeah, yeah, no, man. Yeah.
0: Oh, th- see, this is why I sometimes conspiracy theorists are scratching their neck like they're on meth, but you got to listen to them a little bit. <laughs> and let them, just let them hear you because that sounds like a money scheme when you explain it like that. Uh-huh. I just think
1: oh, people gosh. should be able to take care of themselves, their family and their business to the best of their ability and whatever they think is coherent and people who are at risk should have every possible access to stay home and have things delivered and be taken care of financially by government programs, you know? Cuz at this man. point man like I, the the amount of backlash and the amount of unhealthy people that are going to come out of this and the amount of economic destruction is going to be pretty scary.
0: So you know, man, but you sound like a sensible person right now. I don't know. Like, you, you sound like maybe you have a heart. I, that doesn't sound like it's going to work for me, brother. I don't know. I don't know. That sounds a little too fruitful and, and heartfelt for me. And <laughs> hey,
1: what do you think the turnout's going to be at uh, Jiu Jitsu Woodstock? Have you talked to Jordan?
0: You know, I have a theory, right? And I, I, I think it could be huge, but it, it kind of depends on what happened? Cause like, what if the world goes back? Like, what if the United States is like, listen, we got to dial back again. Stuff is closed down. We have to regress. What if Arizona like is like, you know, I like people can't travel. They're like, okay, no more flights or whatever. Like, okay, we can't open airports. What if it's like, okay, Iowa, we have to dial back. We can have crowds of more than a hundred people. It's like, oh my God, then we're doing this again. Then Jordan will have to postpone it. I'm hoping that we can just kind of get a little better. Right but it's going to be August. That's in two months. I don't know. I hope, man, I hope so much that we can have the crowd that that show deserves, but I'm at
2: the moment, I'm not sure. I'm just hopeful right now. Danny. Yeah. yeah the data looks pretty good for Iowa, but like you said, like if people are planning on traveling in and, and booking flights and stuff, it's like Arizona was in a really good spot three weeks ago and now it's one of the worst states. So things can pretty much change like really quick. So uh, it's, re- it's really hard. It's, uh, I feel like it's almost impossible to predict right now. But like you said, I hope numbers keep slowly going down and there's no travel restrictions and we don't have to fly out there and then quarantine when we get back or something. So I'm like, quarantine God,
0: there. Yeah. Can you imagine if we were stuck in Iowa? Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> like, there's nothing to do here. <laughs> Might as well start smoking meth. <laughs> there's been a lot of meth nice jokes at this show. So. <laughs> you know, Jordan is the one that told me the, the Iowa meth problem joke. So I should probably stop mething around. <laughs> uh, i did, it. And why, I, did it. I have a
1: ton of students who want to fly out and check out the event so i'm at least bringing like six or seven with me
0: oh that's awesome yeah that's I, have a, nice. I have like a family of 13 coming so it's, it's nice great. no that's shit great. 13 people want to come to the event that is awesome it is cool it is like people are like man bj will." how much is the flights so i'm like 95 round trip they're like what like are you, see see you there? there yeah so see you there and like A lot of people want to come and also the production value of the show. Like it is the show that jujitsu deserves 100%. Um, but man, like coronavirus is like the enemy, you know what I mean? It's just the arch nemesis of this show. We're going to see if, uh, we're able to get the leg up on it. I really hope we can dude. like, I really hope we can.
1: I have faith, man, because that's all you can do at this point. You got to believe.
2: All right. I believe, I believe that was inspiring. We really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on the show. It's been a little bit over an hour. So, um, is there anyone you want to thank any sponsors or any, uh, I know you mentioned that BJ Woodstock was pretty much the only event you had coming up, but any, if you think of anything else, just feel free to shout it out.
1: No, man, right now, just sub Uh, Jordan, thanks a lot for the match. Uh, will, I'm will tack and I'm super excited for, uh, for the matchup. I think we're going to put on a hell of a show and, uh, You know, Jordan, keep doing your thing. You're running an awesome event, and I want to support it in any way I can. So, uh, thank you for having me, guys.
2: Yeah, for sure. Thank you again for coming on. We really, really appreciate your time.
1: Awesome, guys. Take it easy.
0: Well,
2: hey, uh, we
0: actually are gonna we're actually gonna shout you out real quick. All right, we before (laughs) don't don't go anywhere uh, because we want to tell people where they can follow you. Where can people follow you? So, because we need people, we need people to know about Aaron Harris.
1: You guys can follow me and check out. One of my, I believe it's 17 leg lock, leg breaks at this point at the hell's my Instagram name. Let's find out Aaron Harris dot BJJ. That's A-A-R-O-N Harris dot BJJ.
0: Yep and uh, we would like to shout out election performance once again open 25 is the discount code if you want to get uh, the testosterone boost you need if you do squats it releases dopamine and that promotes a good mood if you want a beard even half as good as Aaron Harris as you need to get on this program you will get thick <laughs> swole mean not mean you'll be kind you'll be a kind killer with election performance I want to shout out agro brand high tier photography chill fit cryo subspectrum Remember that we are the official commentary team of BJJ Woodstock, so you guys are going to be able to hear our sweet, sultry airwaves the entire show, and it's <laughs> going to be sick. I have a super fight with Matt Layton that is going to be a barn burner. You get to see Aaron Harris versus William Tackett for the 185-pound Nogi title. And, it's, man, it's going to be an awesome show, and we are just so grateful for Maracaba BJJ and Marcio Andre Jiu-Jitsu. Remember to support your local Jiu-Jitsu Academy if you can. And uh, to everybody right now, I know we just talked about it, to everybody who can't train, we love you. Our hearts are with you, and we really hope that you guys can um, tough out this weird time that we're in because Jiu-Jitsu will always be around, and we're going to get it back one day.
2: For sure. Danny, All right. go ahead and take us out of here. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. This is episode 31 with Aaron Harris. Uh, Definitely check him out on Instagram. Follow him and follow Subspectrum and Jordan Peitzman for uh, updates on BJJ Woodstock. See you guys soon.